This is Ross Sutherland. You are listening to Imaginary Advice. Hello. This episode is actually the second part of uh, of a story. So if you haven't heard part one yet, then I recommend going back and listening to that before continuing here. Also, this show is entirely funded by listeners. There's no advertising, no sponsors. If you'd like to help keep the show going and also gain access to the entire separate bonus podcast, which is my kind of hangout show that I do in between all of these main feed episodes, it's called Imaginary Reprise. If you want access to that, then go to www.patreon.com forward slash Ross G Sutherland for more information about that bonus podcast and all the other perks beside this podcast. It just, um, it would not exist if it wasn't for the generosity of a small group of listeners. And uh, if you think you could help out, even for a small period of time, then uh, I'd really appreciate it. Alternatively, if um, giving a small monthly donation doesn't work for you, you can also make a one-off donation to the show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash imaginary advice. Okay, here we go. Side. I adjusted the dial on my belt and brought myself back to the present day. I must admit I'd forgotten how little remained of Castlewood in 2052. No furniture. No carpets, no walls, actually, in some cases. I wasn't sure exactly when the famous Great Fire of Castlewood had occurred, but the house had clearly been gutted for decades. Further down the corridor, a group of ravers were huddled together, inhaling a gas from what looked to me like some sort of drug-filled sombrero. I went over and introduced myself. They gladly sold me a hit of moon dust and a quick half on the sombrero. Towards the end of Collins's big speech, I thought my chest was going to explode. My nerves were cutting through me like piano wire. But the moon dust got to work pretty quickly. My breathing eased, a comforting numbness at my fingertips. Once I thought my face had returned to a relatively normal colour, I bid the teenagers farewell and returned to the drawing room behind me. Of course, I pre-programmed the belt to return me as close as possible to the moment I'd originally left. I wanted my presence at the rave to at least appear contiguous, but it was disorientating to be thrust back into this moment again, the DJ playing the exact same song as when I left, like he'd been playing the same record on loop the entire time. I knew this was just a trick of perspective, but still, the illusion did seem to speak to some deeper truth about the kind of god-awful parties I'm always being dragged to. I mean, in a way, isn't it always the same? bloody song, no matter when you arrive or leave. 
I ordered a couple of beers from the pop-up bar in the corner and tried not to wince at the price. I then took my presumably solid gold beers and snaked through the dance floor back to Frankie, who was still waiting by the window in the exact same spot where I'd left her. Strangely, it was also the exact same spot where I'd left Detective Collins standing back in 1976. I'm back, I said. Frankie took one look at me, and she knew. What the actual fuck, said Frankie. Even if I hadn't returned suddenly dressed as a butler, Frankie would have worked it out. It would have been my hair length or a new skin blemish, maybe just a look in my eye. There was never any point trying to hide things from her. We'd been together too long for that. You told me you gave it back, she said, meaning the time belt. I know, I said. Oh, you know? So, uh, why are you suddenly dressed like a fucking penguin? Yeah, 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 obviously, I'm not denying it. I, um, I went back in time. Oh, no shit, Ben. I, I, know, I know you don't like me using it. And, uh, and, I, and I swear, like, I did try to give this one back to Tom just a couple of days ago. You know, and I, I went over to his place, but turns out he's got a new one now. And so he just let me have this one. And it's only got a couple of charges left anyway. You know how much they cost, said Frankie. They only made like a hundred of them. There's like less than 10 UK licenses. And Tom just, he just gives one away to you. He's such a prat. Look, I said, I don't go around asking for handouts. You know, Tom, like, when has he ever taken no for an answer? Anyway, like, why shouldn't I be allowed to travel through time? You know, just because Tom's parents on a lantern of mine, you think he's more responsible than me? Tom, the intergalactic sex pest and war criminal now, if you've seen the news recently. I mean, I'm probably doing him a favour taking his toys away. Uh, okay, and done what with it, exactly? Said Frankie. All that power, what have you done with it? Spunked it up the wall, that's what you've done. I, I, I haven't, I said. I've just been using it to, you know, like, I'm just trying to work out who I am. You know how it's been since graduation. Come on. Like, you feel just as trapped as I do. What do you mean, trapped? Said Frankie. Where? Here? Ben, you're, you're, you're literally standing in a ruin. Half the walls are two foot high. You can just step over them. You know what I mean, I said. No, I don't. I don't know what you mean. You mean you're trapped with me? I mean, you seem to hate hanging out with me so much that every time you go for a piss, you secretly slip back to 1941 for a week's holiday. Is that it? That kind of thing. Uh, I wouldn't go back to 1941. I said, that's the blitz. And also, no, no, 100% no. That's not what I mean when I said I'm trapped. Frank, you are literally the one thing that I care about. I felt the moon dust kicking in quite hard. I'd maybe taken a slightly bigger half than I'd intended. I just, I mean, have you not noticed how no one talks about the future anymore? At our graduation ceremony, did anyone even say the word future? At any point in the ceremony. No. Because no one can even think of a future now that isn't an absolute living hell. We can't find work, can't leave the country. I mean, what's our future, Frank? Because right now, it seems to me like our one option is uh, continue to live parasitically off our rich friends and just hope they don't get bored of us. Oh, fuck you, said Frankie. Well, in case you hadn't noticed, they're already bored of us, Frank. We're only now, eh? Our great mates in some VIP room. Probably, like, snorting gack of some antique sword, if I know Jemima. You know what, Frank? You might think you're on the other side of the velvet rope, but there's always a room within a room. There's always a place that they can go that you can't, because they have the money and we're just the plebs they let tag along. Huh. 
Frankie laughed, but some part of it seemed to freeze in her throat. I didn't mean to keep pushing, but something about returning to the present just brought it all rushing back to me. I mean, how long do you think this party's going to last? I mean, obviously, I'm not, I'm not talking about tonight. I know tonight goes on till four. I mean, the lifestyle in general, this life that we have. The whole thing with the belt, I was just, um, I thought maybe I could find us another way out. Because if there really is no future for us, maybe the only way forwards is back. I don't know. Frankie downed her beer in one. Do you know, she said, every single time you come back from a piss, you're a different person. We were in the same class in school. Now you're what? Like four years older than me? How the fuck did that happen? I know you think it doesn't matter if you're only gone for a second, but it does matter, Ben. And yes, okay, like life is shit, no future, whatever, but we came to this party together. We came here together. And now we're on totally different wavelengths. I mean, I don't even know what this fucking is in front of me. All right, all right, all right, I get it. But I'm back now, okay? It was a mistake. I mean, it really was uh, a mistake. I don't even want to get into it, but um. I'm sorry, and, uh, and I'm back now, and I'm staying right here, okay? And I'm never going anywhere ever again. Just answer me this, she said. When you walked up to me just now, how long has it been since you saw me last? Just shy of three months. <laughs> Motherfucker. Then she climbed through the empty window frame and walked away across the grounds. I waited a few seconds, then followed through the window, keeping a respectable distance from Frankie, who clearly needed some time to cool down. The rave was starting to get busy now. The entire east field had filled with cars, most of them imports, I noticed. Some Russian kings, a custom rattlesnake, even a dead rainbow. They start around 10 million. Meanwhile, Frankie and I had turned up in Frankie's dad's old Quest 4 with a busted seat and barely enough charge to get us home again. Back in school, I assumed that Frankie and I came from a similar background to all our other friends. People didn't talk about their family connections, their nest eggs. We racked up some debt, but so did everyone, I thought. After graduation, the nights out only got wilder. No one mentioned looking for a job. No one ever spoke about money, period. Which is the first rule of having money. Of course, I saw that now. There had always been a gap between us and the rest of them. We were just too stupid to see it before, as we frittered away the last of our student loans on yet another round at the bunker, or that meal at Fash News. Christ, that was a sore one. At least, I thought, back when I was living in the past, I didn't spend all my time obsessing about money. At least back then, I was free to be whoever I wanted to be. 
And then, Mr. Ivy's emaciated hand appeared again before me, floating through my mind like a drowned bird, and I had to stop to vomit against the hubcap of a Sierra Venom. of the party was heading in the other direction, their arms raised, hooting like morons, weaving through the car park towards the ruined house. Only Frankie and I were fighting the current. I shouted after her. I kept losing her in the crowd. A guy in a chrome Stetson jumped in my way and tried to dance with me. I told him to fuck off. By the time I caught up with Frankie again, she'd cleared the car park and was now stomping off across open scrubland, heading... I had no idea, but she showed no signs of slowing down. I ran to catch up. Hey. Frankie kept walking. Hey, guess what? I said. Um, there used to be a uh, hedge maze right here. Big one, actually. It had a statue at the centre. It was quite um beautiful, actually. Quite handsome. Sad boy with freckles. That was the name of it. Um, someone told me it was a original Nicholas Micklesworth. Frankie turned and hit me in one fluid motion. Anything else? She said. It's uh, it's probably best you don't know, actually. Seriously, said Frankie. For a moment, we just listened to the sound of the wind in the long grass. I could have stayed in those ten seconds forever. If there had been a way to wrangle it, maybe I would have. I didn't mean to go for so long, I said. I I, I left you. I went to the bathroom. The, the party was getting to me. I was just having a bit of a... A moment, you know. So uh, I, I, I decided to pop back to 1976 just for a minute. Just to see what this place used to look like. And um, turns out uh, this place used to be a butler academy back before the fire. And um, they were just starting an express butlering course. And I don't know, before I knew why, I signed up. I don't know why. I was just, um, I was just looking for a reason to exist. You know? And, and is that it? Said Frankie. Is that your reason? <sighs> Perhaps it could have been, I said. But, um, it, it doesn't matter now, because, um, while I was back there, I, uh, I found out something about something that's going to happen to me. Like, something I'm going to do. And, uh, I don't think I can stop it from happening, because technically it's already happened. Said Frankie, dropping into a half-crouch and putting her head in her hands like she was in a plane preparing to crash. You fucked it, didn't you? You fucking time-screwed yourself. I knew it! seriously, I don't know how it happened. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't want to know. I don't want to know. I waited for Frankie to come out of her crash position 
but she didn't. I moved in closer to her ear. Look, I said, I'm so sorry, but um, I'm going to kill a butler in a wine cellar and I don't know why. I don't know no, why. I said don't fucking tell me. Said Frankie, taking off at high speed across the field. Fucking drawn into this time loop bullshit. This is your problem, Ben. You work it out. Frank, I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to. I said, following behind. I mean, I don't think there's anything that either of us can do about it anyway. Good, said Frankie. I mean, what could I do anyway? Hey, I'm just a parasite, right? Leeching off my posh friends. No, maybe I'll go find them now, actually. Go whore myself another free drink, eh? Apparently it's all I'm good for. I didn't I didn't call you a whore. No, no. You did that all yourself. Do you know what? Find your own fucking way home. Said Frankie. You're not coming with me. Okay. I said. Then I said it again. Okay. Uh well let's just let's just cool off. No, no. I don't want to fucking see you here or at home or ever again. So there you go, you've been released. That was all you wanted, wasn't it? Frankie set off back towards the house. This time I didn't follow. Frankie! I called. I know you. I know you don't mean that. You're angry, but like, you're going to feel better tomorrow. Frankie turned back. You're the one with the time machine. She said. Go fucking find out. sat down on the grass and caught my breath, watching Frankie's silhouette shrink back towards the house, the once great estate of Castlewood. Even out here, the bass drum rattled my ribcage. Green lasers fanned out above the ruin, extending in all directions, gridding the sky like parallel timelines moving in and out of sequence. I thought again about Mr. Ivy, his little white hand poking out from behind the door. I'd racked my brain, still I couldn't think of any possible reason why I'd want to kill that nice old man. He'd always been good to me. He'd let me read his car magazine whenever I asked. He had the makings of a great butler too. Exceptional professional deportment, Mr. Funt had said. Even putting aside the fact that I wasn't the murdering type, I could see no personal advantage in Mr. Ivy's passing at all. There was nothing Mr. Ivy had that I wanted, apart from maybe that car magazine, which, as previously stated, he'd always be more than generous with. Of course, me killing him, I thought, could be the result of some kind of terrible accident, the two of us colliding in some configuration or other. Maybe that was more likely. People collide, accidents happen, lives intersect in moments they were never supposed to. Although it still didn't explain what I was doing in the wine cellar in the first place. What the hell was I looking for down there? Or, should I phrase it, what the hell am I going to go looking for down there, seeing as technically I haven't actually gone down there yet, although obviously at some point soon I do. After all, I was the only one with a time belt 
Ergo, sooner or later, I was the one who killed Mr. Ivy. It had already happened, really, in one way, and, sadly, for both of us. It was just a matter of time before it happened again. Why would I want to go back to that wine cellar? Whatever it was waiting for me down there, I lacked the kind of imagination to even hazard a guess. A car alarm tripped at the edge of the east field. Some men in glittery leotards ran over to the car and started dancing around it. Presumably ironically, but who can tell these days? I tore up a clump of grass and let the wind take it. It occurred to me that making a first trip further back in time to steal the cellar door key was actually quite a smart move if the intention of the stolen key was to lock Mr. Ivy out of the cellar rather than in, i.e. so Mr. Ivy couldn't get into the wine cellar in the first place. Who knows, I thought. Maybe that's actually what I try to do. I try to lock him out, but I fuck up the calculations and pop up in the cellar when he's already there, and in doing so, I accidentally kill him. It seems like a long shot, but it is exactly the kind of bad luck I'm famous for. Detective Collins was right about the order of events being moot once time travel is involved. We can work this shit out. Who cares, actually? That's the thing about inevitability. It doesn't matter how it happens. Knowing how changes nothing. I needed some more drugs. I had considered getting a taxi home on my own, but part of me still thought that Frankie might calm down if I just gave her some space. Also, seeing as this was likely the one time I'd have access to this particular location, presumably I went back to 1976 and did the old time murder at some point before leaving tonight. So I kind of knew I wasn't leaving the party till that whole ordeal was over. Obviously, I didn't want to go back. I had no intention of going back, but it didn't really matter what I wanted. Mr. Ivy and I were on an intercept course, and there was nothing I could do about it. I spotted Frankie dancing in the courtyard with a group of people, including our mutual friend, Felix. Felix was responsible for getting me and Frankie onto the guest list in the first place. He was supposed to be DJing in some exclusive VIP room around midnight. Not because he was any good, but because he was actually the 12th Duke of Westminster. The rest of Frankie's crowd were presumably Felix's crew. They were all wearing those Gucci kimonos, like the kids on that reality TV show on the space station. I positioned myself somewhere visible, but contained close to Frankie's eyeline, but off to the side, so if she needed me, all she had to do was look up and 
I'd be there for her. At one point, I noticed she'd finished her drink, so I swapped the empty bottle for a fresh one. A good butler doesn't draw attention to their actions. They are only as visible as they need to be. Even when I was dancing, if you can call it that, I tried to keep my movements soft and round, just as Mr. Funt had taught me. Just gentle elbow movements, nice smooth arcs, the way a good butler should dance. I had huffed an entire cylinder of moon dust, which was making it a little harder to hold my thoughts together. Moon dust was far cheaper than buying booze in this place, so my money, such as it was, got a lot further. I'd forgotten how disassociative things became on large doses, but maybe that was a good thing. If something terrible was going to happen tonight, I wanted the bullet of trauma to pass through my brain as cleanly as possible. Once upon a time, I remembered, there were rose bushes here, white ones, icebergs, and a greenhouse at the centre of the courtyard with an orange tree inside. All that was gone now, the entire square heaving with bodies, some a hundred odd perfumes rolled into a single scent. Frankie's group gathered their things together and stepped back into the building through a hole in the wall. I followed through the hole just in time to see the group showing their wristbands to a security guard holding a gold-plated Gatling gun, which seemed excessive. The guard unhooked a barrier, letting Frankie and crew through into a stairwell. Frankie! I called, my voice sounding strange like someone else's. Frankie didn't even turn back all the way, just far enough to catch me out the corner of her eye. She made a shooing gesture with her hand, then she was gone. One hand was all I got. I showed my wristband to the security guard, but it wasn't the right one, so instead... I went back around the edge of the building and tried to find a window onto the same stairwell. Sadly, the window I needed was fitted with steel bars. I bummed a cigarette from a man in a neon jacket and considered my options for infiltration, which was basically the time belt, so I locked in a course. Obviously, I didn't choose the year 1976. I'm not a complete idiot. I chose August 1st, 1998. Pretty much at random. A bright summer's day, as it happens. As I'd hoped, there were no bars on the window here, so I... Climbed through, getting slightly tangled in the curtains on the other side. Once back on my feet, I set the belt to return me to the exact time I left, and... continued on down the stairs. The mortar between the stones had long crumbled away. I could smell decades of water damage, the stench rising up to greet me. And music too, something faster, harder, 
coming from below. A couple of lads with gold chains and no shirts came up the stairs towards me. Good evening, I said, but it was like they couldn't see me. At the bottom of the stairs was a room of solid flesh. Body squeezed against body, arms raised, hands splayed. I squeezed myself into the room, sliding between the sweaty bodies. To afford access to a room like this, probably every kid in here was well on their way to being a multi-millionaire. You would have thought more of them could afford a shirt. I pushed myself up on my toes, trying to catch sight of Frankie's face. Maybe they've left already, I thought. If so, they could be anywhere by now. After all, there were so many places in Castlewood to hide things. If she didn't want to be found, it was over. It then occurred to me that I had been smoking a cigarette outside, but somewhere in between there and here, I'd lost it. It had been in my mouth when I climbed through the window, which meant uh, I probably dropped it when I got caught in the curtains. At that moment, another distant memory floated through me. When Frankie and I first arrived, didn't someone say something to us about how the great fire that destroyed Castlewood was in 1998? Yeah, maybe that was why August 1st, 1998 was on my mind. To be fair, though, it was hard to remember back that far. So much time had passed since Frankie and I first arrived at the party. We were different people now. She was right about that. The VIP room was small. It didn't take long before I reached the far side, where I was surprised to find myself being crushed against a large porcelain basin. The taps had long been stolen and someone had filled the sink with some kind of rave slime, but I immediately recognised the fixture. This basement VIP room had once been Castleford's kitchen. There was still that grimy portrait of Chef Mink holding a trout that he loved so much. Okay, 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 okay. Came a voice which sounded suspiciously like it belonged to the 12th Duke of Westminster. Where are my old school people at? Let me hear it! There was no DJ booth here, but Felix had to be nearby. And like that, the mystery was solved. The answer right there hanging in the air above us like a cloud of poison gas. 
I didn't even have to walk towards it, swept up by the current of bodies. I simply let the crowd carry me to the hole in the wall where the cellar door once stood. Inside, set up against the back wall, Felix and Frankie gurning out over the turntables, shaking their hands over the crowd of dense, sweaty bodies, lit only by the slow thrum of a strobe. There was nothing left of the room as I remembered it. No racks of fine wine. The white floor tiles had been prized up and presumably sold off the same as everything else from this place worth saving. For some reason, I put my hand against the brickwork. It was cold, even in this heat. I don't know what I was expecting. The crowd was getting tighter and tighter as more and more people pushed their way inside. After all, this was the final room, the deepest, most exclusive level of the party. Some kid next to me was wearing a gas mask with a moon dust cylinder on his back. I paid him for whatever he had left. And with that, I could finally feel my future surrounding me. I had become an inevitable object, a falling piano, a puzzle with only one solution. I nearly smiled, if you can believe it. The crowd was packed so tightly around me that for a second my feet lifted off the floor. And right then, that was when I heard her. Frankie's voice. At least, I think it was. It's possible that it was just part of the music. Maybe something just bleeped at her precise frequency. But it sounded like someone saying my name. This story, Locked Room Mystery, Sides A and B, was written and produced by me, Ross Sutherland. Additional score was by Jeremy Wormsley. All the good music is Jeremy's. I wrote the club music, uh, but all the rest was his. For more of Jeremy's music, go to jeremywormsley.com. Um, it's rare for any piece of fiction to have a linear development process but um this story had a particularly situous way of coming about i um i first began planning a agatha christie style mystery years ago but uh, my plot solution came out extremely long-winded it was uh it was super boring i couldn't make it fun so i scrapped it in the end but then uh, last month uh, I had a, a guest story ended up dropping out short notice. So I had to quickly write a replacement. So uh, 
yeah, I decided to revisit my Agatha Christie story. And I ended up writing a kind of parody version of my first attempt that ended up being the first part of this two-parter. Just as I was finishing that, I thought to myself, well, what if I took the punchline from that story and kept going and actually tried to see it through to try and sort of make good on a cheap joke that I made at the end of my parody piece. And that's how this episode came about. And uh, it's not an advisable way to create fiction. I will admit that. But there you go. I, uh, I decided to use the analogy of a record i.e. calling the parts side A and side B, because both parts of the story started to feel to me like two versions of the same song, with, uh, with this side being more like the um, dance music remix of the original. Anyway, I hope you still liked it. My Patreon one last time, that's patreon.com forward slash Ross G. Sutherland or buymeacoffee.com forward slash imaginary advice for merch you can go to imaginaryadvice.com forward slash merch that's imaginaryadvice.com forward slash merch where you can buy an imaginary advice t-shirt very tasteful or an imaginary advice mug very gray or you can get a copy of my brand new guided writing journal an empty notebook featuring 100 prompts for writing ideas designed to make writing fun. It's not about being a professional writer. For me, writing is almost a form of meditation. I like to write just for the sake of writing. It's good for my state of mind. Uh, so this book gives you some exercises to help with that. And uh, it's available worldwide in hardback, paperback and ebook. Obviously, you can't write in the ebook, but you can scoop out the exercises and apply them to a paper journal if you're choosing all that from imaginaryadvice.com uh yeah you have been listening to imaginary advice thanks for listening till next time <laughs>